Father, we give you honor and praise that you are our God. We come to worship you today, to offer our lives to you, and we give you thanks for being present with us. Pour out your spirit on all that we do in this time together, and we pray this through Jesus. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship this morning. One of the, uh, the joys that we have as a church family is to connect with people who are uh, in other places of the world, sharing the gospel, doing uh, the work of the kingdom. And uh, John and Carolyn Miller have been uh, a part of our church family for many years. We have supported their ministry, and uh, we are glad to have them back in town for a little bit. And they're going to share just a few moments this morning about their work and their ministry with Wycliffe. Some of you have been praying for us and supporting us since uh, Carolyn first left with uh, Grandmother Payne's wedding dress in her suitcase to join me in Vietnam. Some of you have seen us come and go through the years as we've visited Houghton from time to time. Some of you welcomed us back from Vietnam after our time of being guests of the revolution in 1975. Some of you know us only as Luann Brubaker's parents or as names on the church bulletin board. But one way or another, Houghton community has supported us through the past 50 plus years in prayer and financial support. First in Vietnam, later in the Philippines, Malaysia, Laos, and Thailand. And we want to say thank you. Our ministry has been varied. While most of our work has involved language development and Bible translation, we've also been involved in teaching, in administration, serving as parents to our own children and others, and whatever else needed to be done. Over the past 10 years, the Lord has opened a way for us to continue to work with the Brew people from both Laos and Vietnam at a language center in Northeast Thailand near the Lao border. In 2009, a revised Brew New Testament with Psalms was printed in Vietnam. This was the third printing of the Brew New Testament, and as far as we know, it was the first time the Vietnamese government gave permission for scripture to be printed in Vietnam for a minority language without an accompanying Vietnamese translation. Last month, a manuscript of the entire Brew Bible was electronically turned over to the Vietnamese Bible Society 
And last week, we received word that the government has given permission to print this in-country. Three group pastors have been trained at a reopened seminary in Ho Chi Minh City, or Saigon, and four more are currently in training. House churches are found in dozens of villages, and we had the privilege to meet some of these church leaders uh, when we were allowed to go to Vietnam and visit in 2011 in the village where we had lived with the brew. We are reminded of our brew friends when we read what Paul tells the believers in Thessalonians in chapter 1. For when we brought you the good news, Paul says, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit, in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. Paul recognized the dependence on the prayers of others as he carried out the work God had given him. He says in 2 Corinthians 1, On him we have set our hope that we will continue, he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor favor granted us in the answer to the prayers of many. This has been true for us, as we have seen God's hand at work in our lives and ministry in Vietnam, in Malaysia among the Karazan people, and in travels to many other places. We expect to return to Thailand in July to finish our part in serving the Brew community through development of literacy and scripture use materials. Literacy, particularly in Laos, is very low. We hope also to finish a brew dictionary and the archiving of other brew materials. We've also seen God use the brew materials to reach other related language groups in Laos. I've been working with a team of local people to complete a New Testament in the Katang language, a language related to brew, using a computer program called Adaptit. The Katang Church is very young, but is rapidly growing. It's a church of several thousand now. Their literacy and knowledge of the national language isn't high. Most of their leaders have spent time in prison because they refuse to give up their faith. And new believers are routinely threatened with loss of life or property if they don't recant. We continue to need your prayers and support for this work. We're encouraged by Paul's reminder that The word of God is not chained. He's not dependent on our presence to continue his work. Now, even more than when Paul wrote those words to Timothy, the word of God penetrates barriers by printed materials, radio broadcasts, MP3 players, and even cell phones. We may not personally be able to continue much longer. We don't know. But the Apostle Peter reminds us that the word of the Lord endures forever. Pray with us for the more than 1,600 language groups around the world that are still without it. Thank you, John and Carolyn. We appreciate that update, the report, and we do want to commit ourselves to pray with you and for you and for the Brew people and the ministry uh, that uh, they're connected with. 
We do want to uh, wish you Happy Mother's Day today. We're, uh, we hope that it's a day you're able to spend with family, and we pray that it's a good day. We also welcome those of you who may be here for commencement at the college, and uh, perhaps some of you are the class of 1964 that are back, and uh, we are excited to see you as we gather for worship. Just a few things I want to highlight in the life of the church. Uh, we are just completing up gathering questions for the sermon series in the fall. So if you have a question that you'd like to submit, that's something you'd like to see a sermon preached about, that put into the, the hopper with the many others that we've received, uh, we're going to be collecting all those by tomorrow. So you can drop in the offering plate today, just write it in one of those uh, three or five cards. They're the colored ones in front of you. Or uh, you can email me or one of the staff and we'll put it into the grouping. And from that, the sermons will develop. Next Sunday, we are uh, doing our annual election of leaders. You see information in the bulletin about that on Sunday morning. Sunday night is our vision meeting. And um, Sunday night, we would love to have uh, all of you come to this meeting as we talk about uh, not only where we've been and the things God's done for us, but where we're looking to the future. And we'll have some time to uh, talk together and break up into small groups. And and so we look forward to that time together next week. Uh, You also see... uh, an announcement about a memorial service for Bob Brown Jr., and that'll be this coming Saturday. And also in the insert, Saturday morning is a work day here at the church. We appreciate your help with that. And we also still need a few people to help with children's ministries. And if you're able to do that over the course of the summer, that would be greatly appreciated. After the, uh, the offering this morning, we are going to spend time praying together as we do each week. And uh, as we have done for quite some time, the altar reel is open, and as we, uh, after the offering, as we gather to pray, if you would like to use the altar reel as your place of prayer, then uh, come join me during that time together. This time we'll ask the ushers come to come and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings.
If you'd like to come to the altar for prayer, please join me. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us in Christ. Through the cross and the resurrection, we have forgiveness of sins, our hearts are set free, and we have life. We come today to worship you for all that you've done and for all that you're doing. Father, on this special day, we come and give you thanks for the gift of family. We realize that families come in, in all shapes and sizes. And quite frankly, families exist with varying degrees of success and godliness. This morning, we want to thank you for the people who have nurtured us, cared for us loved us. Father, we recognize that there are no perfect families. So we pray for your help in each of our families. Help us to be parents who love our children, who lead our children to Christ in everything that we do. Help us to be children who love our parents in the spirit of Christ's love in all that we do. Help us in all of our family connections to know your grace and your mercy, to be people who love and forgive, who show kindness and mercy, who respect one another and honor one another, who want nothing more than what is best for each other. Father, we pray also for the needs that so many of us feel today and those we love. Father, we pray today for all who are grieving and we think of Marge Avery and her family, the death of her brother this week. We pray for the family of Bob Brown, and ask for your grace upon him. And for others who are feeling the pain and the sting and the loss of death. Father, we pray for all who are wrestling with health concerns. And we think of Bev and Edna and Linda and Micah, for Bill and Crystal for Emily and for others who are in our hearts and minds today. We pray for all who are struggling to find a job, for all who are dealing with broken relationships, for our human struggles with anger and bitterness, and for those of us who feel overwhelmed with disappointment and unfulfilled expectations. We pray that you will help us and heal us And we ask that you will transform us so that we may live as resurrection people. 
in a world of so much heartache and pain and suffering. Father, we pray for the people of Brunei, for our brothers and sisters there who, who are facing the, uh, the recent demand of Sharia law. We ask, Father, that you will protect our brothers and sisters, that they will be a beacon of light in the midst of darkness. We pray, Father, for the Brew people. They have faced so much. We pray that you'd give them strength and grace and power. We pray that you will continue to help them. We thank you for the translations of the scriptures that they have, and we pray that this will enable the word to go forth. Pray for John and Carolyn and ask for their ongoing ministry. That you will give them strength for the task before them. And that you will bless their lives. We pray also for the ministry of Jericho Road. And ask that you will continue to bless them as they work in Buffalo. That they too will be a beacon of light to people who have such needs. Father, we thank you for this day. We pray that the truth, the reality, the power of the resurrected Christ will be at work in each of our lives, individually and collectively. And it is in the name of our risen Savior that we pray with joy and confidence, even as we remember the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. scripture reading the children may be dismissed for children's church and junior church but I personally love the sound of all the giggling (laughs) scripture this morning is from 1st Peter chapter 2 verses 4 to 12 come to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple he was rejected by the people but he's precious to God who chose him And now God is building you as living stones into his spiritual temple. What's more, you're God's holy priests who offer the spiritual sacrifices that please him because of Jesus Christ. As the scriptures express it, I'm placing a stone in Jerusalem, a chosen cornerstone, and anyone who believes in him will never be disappointed. Yes, he is very precious to you who believe. But for those who reject him, The stone that was rejected by the builders has now become the cornerstone. And the scriptures also say, he is the stone that makes people stumble and the rock that will make them fall. They stumble because they do not listen to God's word or obey it. And so they meet the fate that has been planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. 
You're a kingdom of priests, God's holy nation, his very own possession. This is so that you can show goodness, show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you received none of God's mercy, now you have received his mercy. Dear brothers and sisters, you are aliens here and foreigners. So I warn you, keep away from the evil desire, because they fight against your very souls. Be careful how you live among your unbelieving neighbors. Even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will believe and give honor to God when he comes to judge the world. Please stand and join us as we sing together.
shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone. For us to stand before the throne. Please be seated. the the calling, the desire, the plan of God for people who follow him? What does God have in mind for us? What what is what's the the end goal? You're going to get a variety of answers to that question. Some people say it's holiness. Some people say it is declaring the supremacy of God. Some people will talk about evangelism or discipleship. Some people talk about worship. Some people will talk about um, being a presence for changing the culture, the, the social nature of the world. And to one degree or another, they are all right. They all have a place in God's overall plan. But I think that often... When we, even when we talk about these things, we talk about them in terms of us as individuals. God's plan for me is to share with other people. God's plan for me is to worship him. God's plan for me is to be holy. And, and it's true. But I don't think that's all of it. I find it fascinating when when we read this letter of Peter and he comes to the second chapter and he says, what God really wants from you as my people is to be a spiritual house. And instead of thinking of yourselves only or even primarily as it's, it's really just about me, He's calling us to think of our faith, to think of our relationship with Christ as us, as a house. This is a special house. In verses 9 and 10 of this chapter, he says, you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. You, this house that God is creating is so much more, so much bigger, so much greater than any of us could ever imagine. And what we can accomplish on our own may be significant, but God's plan for us as followers of Christ is bigger than just what you or I might do by ourselves. He is talking about a house. It's interesting that Peter writes this because we know from the very beginning of this letter that he's writing to people that are scattered around. They're not people who are all in one place. They're not all together in one place. They're in different places. And yet he says God's plan, God's dream, God's design and calling for you 
is to be a spiritual house. To be so connected to each other in Christ that you truly become a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Now, the house is made of what Peter describes as living stones. That means that we need to be alive. I mean, it starts with people who are alive to Christ. And we are open to Christ. And we have surrendered to Christ. And, and Christ is, is, has made us alive. But the difference between what we tend to think about and what I think Paul is te- or Peter is telling us here is it's the difference between a rock lying by itself, just sitting there, and a rock that is a part of a structure. It's better to be a living stone by yourself than to be dead. But that's not the point. Those aren't the options that he gives us. He's saying, I want you to be living stones together that make up this house. I want you to be living stones that I put together to create this structure that is awesome, that people will look at and say, I want to be a part of that too. And I think sometimes that goes against the grain of how we think about our faith. Because we have been, it's been so ingrained into our minds, particularly in a Western culture, that it's really ultimately about me and Jesus. And as long as I'm okay with Jesus, everybody else is... Somewhat insignificant. We we truly believe, I think, if we really are pushed to it, we can be fully as much Christian as God wants us to be by ourselves as we could be with other people. And I don't think that's biblical. I think the calling of God is about being this spiritual house. It's about being the church. It's being the people of God. And somehow we get into our minds, we need to have in our minds this perspective that we will never be fully what God has called us to be. We'll never be fully what God has created us to be and what he wants us to be in Christ until we are connected with each other. It's not just saying, well, it's icing on the cake to be connected to each other. It's foundational. It's what it means to be a Christian, to be connected to each other. We need each other. We need to want each other. That will mean that we care more about unity than we do the things that divide us. And, you know, we're, we're really good about pointing out the things that divide us. That comes easy to us. We, we can, you know, we, we are, and, and we are different. God's created us different. We think differently. We've had different experiences. We, we go through things in different ways. We can, we can find all kinds of ways to divide ourselves. Age, gender, economics, education. We, we can find all kinds of ways to divide us in the church. We have doctrinal distinctives. We have experiences. 
We have all kinds of things that, that can divide us. And we do have distinctives. And we don't ignore those. And we don't act like they're not there. They are there. They're important. And they're okay. The question is, are those distinctives dividing us or uniting us? Are we using our distinctives to say, well, then I don't have to really get along with that person. I don't have to be connected to that person. Or do we use the distinctives to to realize that together we build a stronger house? Years ago... Uh, when uh, we were living in Wisconsin, I was part of a ministerial association in the town where we lived. And it was very active. We'd meet together once a month. And we'd, we'd talk about the ways in which the churches in the town could, could uh, you know, impact the community. And we did a few events. And, and it was a great time to get together, get to know each other. But after a few years, we decided we wanted more, wanted more something deeper than that. And so we, we decided that we would get together once a month instead of having business. We'd, we'd go to a retreat center just outside of town, and we'd have time of worship together. We'd sing a little bit, pray. We'd take turns leading a brief devotional. And, and it, we just felt like that would unite us much more and would be much better for us as a group of ministers. And we were excited about it, and we were bringing the, the plans to a conclusion. And one of the ministers said... Well, if we're going to do this, I can't be a part of the group anymore. And I said, why? And he said, well, in our church, we believe that unless we agree on every single thing of theology, then we can't worship together. I can come, we can do business together, but we can't worship together. And I was stunned. I had never heard anything like that before in my life. Well, we decided that as much as we would miss him, we were going to go ahead and meet. As our worship, worshiping together was more important than, in our opinion, his skewed view of Scripture. But how often we do that with each other in more subtle ways. We allow our distinctives to divide us instead of unite us. And then we're like just little stones Lying all over the place instead of a house. And yes, coming together means that we have to sacrifice. That's one of the things that happens. One of the reasons we, we are hesitant about it. Is because we know if we're going to be a house, we're going to have to give up something, some things that we want. When it's just me and Jesus, then I can just do what I want. I, I can be who I want to be. I don't have to worry about other people and their opinions and their thoughts and getting along with them and sacrificing for them, which is why it's so dangerous. Because one of the callings of the kingdom is we sacrifice for each other. He, he talks here in verse 5 about, being, about offering spiritual sacrifices that please God. And sacrifices that please God mean that they're more about what God wants than what we want. In the Old Testament, the people bring sacrifices to God. It always costs them something significant. They bring the first fruits, the best of their crops. They bring the best of their, of their flock to sacrifice to God. It's always the best that they bring. And it hurts them. It costs them something. But that's why it's called a sacrifice. 
And you and I are called by God to bring the best that we have and to sacrifice, to give it away. And the minute we say we're going to be connected to each other, it means that now we've got to figure out how we're going to live together in unity and love. We're going to have to figure out how, what we have to sacrifice for the good of other people. And we will all be called to do it. You can't help it. But what better way to, to chip off from us those places where we need help? Those rough edges that God wants to smooth. What better way than putting us in a position where we are forced to deal with it? And there are all kinds of sacrifices that God may call us to experience. Maybe it's the sacrifice of of worship being exactly what we want. Maybe it's the sacrifice of, of giving of our time and our energy. One of the reasons I think people are hesitant to to get on board with the church is because we realize if we're really going to connect ourselves with the church, there's a good chance we're going to be asked to do something. Right? They're going to ask me to teach Sunday school. They're going to ask me to do children's church. They're going to ask me to work with a youth group or usher or, or be a greeter or go to the nursing home. They're going to ask me to do something. And quite frankly, I just want to come, do my thing and go home. But God's called us to something more than that. If that's our mindset, we're just stones by ourselves. Instead of being a part of this awesome spiritual house that God is building. Maybe one of the sacrifices is exactly what Cindy said a moment ago before she read the scripture. Of of the, the noise going on in here with our children. I agree with her 100%. It's awesome. Because the alternative to that is we don't have any children. We, love, we want children. And sometimes the sacrifice is it's not as quiet as we might want it to be. We'll get over it. Because we're all about building the kingdom together and helping each other and supporting each other and helping our children know that they are loved and cared for. And we invest in them. We invest in each other. We teach each other. We love each other. We connect with each other. We forgive each other. We challenge each other. We do minister to each other. And it becomes like the Jenga game. You know, you're probably familiar with the Jenga game where you, you, know, you slide out pieces of this thing. And I know I'm going to knock this thing over here in a second. We do this. You pull out pieces. You put them back on top. And, and you can pull out a number of pieces as long as you put them in the right place. And the thing will stand. But if you start pulling out very many, you compromise the integrity of the tower and it's going to crumble. And the church is the same way. We think, I'm just one person not doing something. I'm just one person not connected. But it's one person and one person and one person and one person. And pretty soon, it doesn't look like the spiritual house that God designed it to be. It's going to be sacrifice. When you look back at the book of Acts, at the end of of chapter 2, the writer says that they were all together in one mind and heart. 
They had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as they had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread, bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And at the end of chapter 4, it says almost the same thing. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as they had need. And you read that, and this commonality of what they have, and the sacrifice for one another, and you remember Peter's a part of that. Peter's right in the middle of that. And Peter understands the sacrifice that they made for each other to be this this church that they were called to be. And Peter also knows what happened when that took place. The church exploded. And God was glorified. And a house was constructed that people said, I want to be a part of that. And it's a sacrifice. But it's a sacrifice built on the cornerstone, the foundation of the one who gave gave the ultimate sacrifice. Peter says the, the cornerstone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone of the kingdom. See, all of our stones work as imperfect as we are and as mismatched as we are they work because the cornerstone is perfect and built on that cornerstone every piece fits exactly as it should he is the cornerstone the architect the one who was rejected to the cross to death and rose from the dead to life is the one upon whom the whole house is built and when it's because it's built on Christ we know it's solid And adding our stone to his house is adding to the kingdom built on the one who, yes, was rejected. But is the one with the power who is right and true and perfect and good. The people to whom Peter writes are being told by the culture around them that they are insignificant. They don't matter. Their their faith is, is... unreasonable, probably they're ignorant. And he says, but remember, those who are rejecting you rejected him, and look what God is doing with Christ who was rejected. The spiritual house that Christ, about whom Christ is the architect And the cornerstone is simply a house that looks like Jesus. If you know anything about famous architects, people who know about those things can look at a building and tell you who designed it. You look at a building and you say, that was one of Frank Lloyd Wright's. That was Christopher Wren. And artists can do the same thing with paintings and sculptures because they've studied them and they know what they look like. And that's what happens with this spiritual house that he's creating. It doesn't look like us. It looks like Jesus. 
Because it's his house. He's building it. He designed it. We're simply living stones in his hands through which he creates this amazing structure. My grandfather was a, a great builder. He, um, he built houses. He remodeled houses. He could build just about anything, and he did. My mom used to talk about how uh, when they were young, he, was a, he taught music at, at college. He also was a pastor and didn't make a lot of money, so to supplement his income, he would, he would buy old houses, and then he would remodel them and restore them and then sell them. And my mom would say, you know, they lived in these houses all the while he was working on them, and when he got them done and they were ready to live in, he'd sell it to somebody else, and then they'd go find another one. And this was the program of their life. But he could make things. I remember he, in his retirement years, he took a Volkswagen Beetle, he cut off the back of it and attached a camper to the back of it and drove that thing around. We were all a little bit embarrassed to ride with him in that thing, but <laughs> it, it, it was kind of cool. He could build anything. Unfortunately, his skills were not passed along to me. Uh, I, I, I can putter around the house a little bit. Some of you have had the the um, privilege of uh, assisting me in some projects, often when I'm in the middle of them and I'm stuck and I don't know what to do and I'm about to destroy something. And I'm sure you've walked away going, wow, I'm so glad I don't live in a structure that he built. Uh, there is one thing, though, that I'm pretty proud of. I, I did design and build this, uh, this container for our garbage cans outside. It's... <laughs> I mean, it's painted and everything. I, this is... This is my crowning achievement. Now, you've now you got to understand that when I was in eighth grade shop class, I liked drafting, but nothing else. I didn't have a clue what I was doing in there. And I remember the time the instructor just gave us some wood and said, build something. What? All I could think of, I was going to do what the guy next to me is doing. And he was building a little shelf. So I thought, fine, I'll build a shelf. And so he cut his wood, I cut my wood. He, you know, he painted his, varnished it, I varnished mine. And, and I just did whatever he did. Whatever he did, that's what I did. And when it got done, you know, it didn't look too bad. And I took it home and I showed my parents and my mother said, this is nice. But I just have one question. Why, why are the end pieces in, in the shape of the letter R? I said, because the guy next to me, his name was Randy. <laughs> I don't even have an R in my name. (laughs) You know what? As builders of God's spiritual house, we are a lot more like me than my grandfather. We, you know, we aren't very good with the tools of relationships. And we, we succumb to the temptations that come to us and, and we mess up things and, and we're better at destroying stuff than building it. But not Jesus. He's the master builder and he knows what he's doing and he's simply asking us to be willing stones so that he can use us together to build his house so that people will see him. And that's his calling on our lives. To be living stones. 
And I love what Psalm 118 says. As the builders, the, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And the Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. And then he says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The joy of the Lord is about this house. He's calling us to be stones, willing, living stones that he can use to build something awesome. Gracious Father, thank you so much for wanting more for, for us than we want for ourselves. For wanting more out of our lives than for us just to be on our own, but to be a part of something amazing, priceless, your treasure, your people, your house. Father, give us a passion for what you're passionate about. And we pray this through the grace of Christ. Amen. This morning, we are going to, um, we're going to give you a stone to take home with you. And while we're singing the last song, we got people who are going to distribute those. We just want you to have this to remind you of our calling in Christ. To remind all of us that God has something bigger for us, something more, something greater as a part of his awesome spiritual house. So as we sing, we're going to distribute these stones and I pray that it will remind you of God's calling. Let's stand. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. Why more can he say than to you, you to you who for refuge to Jesus have. Fear not, I am with you, only not to sin.
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now forevermore. Amen.